Ohio Police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the host of the Reasonable Voices talk radio show on an intercontinental telephone call today with the writer-director of Son of Sophia, Elena Siku. And Elena is in Athens, Greece. Elena, how are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm very happy that uh, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm very... I'm very happy too. Uh, just briefly, so the audience knows, we have been trying to connect and uh, with various technical challenges, uh, mainly mine. <laughs> but <laughs> but here we are at last. Yeah, I did. And uh, did I pronounce both names correctly, Elena? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, correctly. very good. So, Elena, we're talking to Elena Siku because, uh, as I said, she's the writer director of. Son of Sophia, which is going to make its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in the International Narrative Competition. Now, last week we spoke with one of the producers of Son of Sophia, Yoros Carnavas. Thank you. And my hat off to uh, Wayman Side, who made all of this possible for us to get together. The film I love, and I, we're going to be able to talk specifics with the director and writer now about the things I love and about what she was trying to accomplish. I think she accomplished them. And uh, they'll be in New York for screenings in April 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 28th. We'll talk more about that later. So, Elena, what gave you the the impetus to write... And then, of course, direct so beautifully, uh, Son of Sophia. What what uh, was what germinated that thought, that inspiration? Uh, I would like to to say a story about the childhood. I'm very sensitive uh, uh, in children. I'm also a mother of a seven-year-old son, ah. and uh, I was also a kid. Oh, well, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would now do it. I'm <laughs> now I'm 40, so I was uh, at the age of the young protagonist, uh, uh, 
certainly accomplished that in my point of view. I want to say that, uh, just to give the audience a little bit, and then you can decide how much we tell them, but this film does amazing things with, I I think, first of all, light. That's the obvious. Uh, The contrasts between light, how much light, how much darkness, when the light Uh and the darkness are used. It also combines fairy tales. I always think, you know, I laugh when I hear that when Americans... Uh, talk as though fairy tales are uh, an American production or creation. They are not. Um, But you involve fairy tales in the Greek Olympics and uh, uh, Russian-Ukraine conflict and, and, uh, as you say, young versus old from from the young's point of view. And Grandpa Earth, I'm going to talk about all of that, but tell us what I I call those tunnel shots coming from New York where there are of tunnel apartments with long hallways. I always find those that set up such an eerie mood. What is your fascination? We see your expertise when we see the film, and I have, with the choice of, of shots and lights, the way you use the camera to give us distance when people are really mm-hmm. in normal settings. That's, that's a long question, but you mm-hmm. get to talk now. to say that um, uh, you certainly show that because again it's it is the use of light and, and contrast but it's also the contrast between 
the silences. I always tell actors, trust the silence. There, there are silences that speak. And of course, the young boy who plays Michael or Misha is uh-huh. is thrust into a, a a new world all of a sudden, and uh, with a new man in his life. And and as you say, we we don't see necessarily uh, all the flattering parts, if you will, or the of the older man now in his life suddenly. Uh-huh. And and on the surface of that, you think uh, uh, we Americans think that okay, we've seen this before: a dysfunctional family, father, a stepfather, or whatever. But we really haven't, because you take us places in *Son of Sophia*, in in the facial expressions of the character Misha, uh, in his eyes, uh, in the what do I want to say? Maybe without giving away too much, the play within the play. And then there's another mm-hmm. level with the friend, the person who befriends uh, Misha. It's, it's just so mm-hmm. many. Mm-hmm. So, yes, tell us, tell us more. Yes, uh, for me, uh, in this story, uh, the innocent balances balance with the cruelty, mm-hmm. and at the same time, really balanced with the fantasy. Yes. Uh, so, as, as I said before, there is no bad, there is no good. Mm. So, you know, at the same time that a child is innocent, at the same time uh, it is cruel. Yes. And uh, at the same time that uh, uh, we are in a realism, at the same time we are in the fantasy of this boy. Yes. You know, the children have, have a great fantasy. Uh, have a great, fantastic world. Sometimes they have fantastic friends. Um, uh, all, all, can, um, all things can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as you mentioned about the eyes of the boy, uh, yes. sometimes uh, these eyes are so tough, eh? mm. and uh, you think that you, you think that this boy is real, <laughs> but at the same time. You feel all this violence that uh, uh, this boy feels uh, um, from the from the behavior of uh, this old man. So you really, you really uh, goes with you, with this boy. You really yes. go with this boy. So all the emo- uh, they are all the emotions. Yes. Yes. I, I, I would like to show all the emotions. I, I would like to sympathize and at the same time to not sympathize. Yes. The boy, uh, and the same for the mother, and the same for the for the old man. Mm-hmm. Because for me, this is why this is how it happens in the real world. Yes. There is no bad. There is no good. There is no black. There is no white. And you know, you use all the... we have right, and all we have wrong. Exactly, exactly, and that, and that is that is reality. And you have you use the camera as an objective uh, observer, and, mm-hmm. and and then you. But as a writer, you have created these. You know, they say the of course the play has an arc, the script has an arc. It certainly does. But everyone, yes. everyone in your script. Uh, at least of the three main characters, is making a very clear, uh, and clear is not a good word because it doesn't mean it's obvious. It's not obvious at all. But each is making their own journey. And they're at different places and different tempi at different times. So they advance differently. But um, they come to a uh, somewhat surprising solution, uh, or conclusion, I should say. I'm 
again, trying not to tell, uh, tell too much, but, but if, if we could for a moment talk about this reality versus fantasy, I see when you use the set in your shots, that is the in, environment of where the, the characters are, you, kind of, you use those as, um, as a character. Uh, am, I, am I too far off track there? Yes. It's also a character. Yes. It is very important, the house. Uh, at, uh, in this, um, in, uh, at, we work with my art director uh-huh. uh, in, uh, in this way, that the, character, that the house is, uh, is the fourth character, yes. the fourth main character of uh, this movie. Because uh, you know the decor of the, of the house. First of all, it was a, a, an empty house, an mm-hmm. empty apartment. Mm-hmm. that uh, we found and uh, we, we did it uh, as we liked uh-huh. so we read a lot of uh, things we, bu- we bought a lot of things but uh, we designed it for the first uh, you know moment so we did it exactly as me and my art director Penelope Valtin mm. uh, liked to do it and uh, it was uh, something that uh, I was uh, that I wanted for the first moment that uh, this house will be the fourth main character of the movie. Yes. Well, I'm glad. Uh, I, I yeah. want to. Say, I'm happy. I realized that, but I also want to say congratulations because clearly you accomplished that goal. It, it is subtly done, but the but clearly the environment, the house itself is a character in the film as much as the uh, the choice again of how to use light and how to use darkness i mean usually uh-huh. <laughs> darkness well i think we come as an audience with a preconceived idea uh both from theater and film that when there is a blackout um the, uh-huh. this is a dangerous time and yet you twist uh-huh. our perceptions don't you <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, you, you have to know that uh, all the industry, the people that you know that uh, sell and buy movies, they're really afraid of the darkness. Yes. Because they, they feel that uh, the dark movies, uh, yes, don't, uh, be, don't be sold, that, uh, that the industry don't buy, you know, dark movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's something that, you know, they say, ah, you have a lot of dark scenes. Yes, I have a yeah. lot of dark scenes because... Uh, Yes, yes. then if we, without again we don't want to give away too much we want people to come to Tribeca in April and see yeah. uh, Son of Sophia but how uh, as pr- perhaps the most um, uh, visual expression of well maybe not the most because you do it throughout the film but w- certainly one of the uh, expressions of contrast between reality and fantasy is the way we ultimately see the relationship develop between the old man and Misha. How, um, tell us what you wish to tell us about that, how you 
what you use and why to demonstrate that uh, when reality and fantasy come together? Because I think that's a, a turning point for Misha. Yes? fantasy scene mm-hmm. in the film and uh, as you said uh, these fantasy scenes are uh, the three turning points of uh, the child mm-hmm. so all the times that uh, he has to make a big decision yes. for his life uh, we have a big fantasy scene so it is uh, like he goes into his fantasy and uh, after he leaves the fantasy, uh, after leaving the fantasy, he, ma- he makes a big decision. Mm. I-, I don't want to say what kind no, of decisions no. these are, because <laughs> I don't know, yes, give spoilers to the audience. Yes. But uh, it is exactly what you said, that the fantasy scenes are the turning point uh, of uh, Misha. Because as Misha is the protagonist, is the one that uh, he has to make decisions. <laughs> yes. Uh, so every time that he has to make a decision, he goes into a fantasy in order to, to be powerful, mm-hmm. to make this decision. And I think also it's fair to say that you require that the audience make a few decisions too and choices. It's, uh, it's not like, mm-hmm. you, like you tie it up in a neat little bow and say, here it is. We have to come to certain conclusions. Yeah. Um, we're yeah, yeah. we're going to stop on that note right now and take a short break. Everyone stay with us. We are talking with Elena Siku, who is the writer-director of Son of Sofia, which is making its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in the International Narrative Competition. It will be screening on April 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and 28th in theater locations in New York City. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Film Minute. The sign at the Seabell Beauty Shop is broken, with the bee hanging precariously, perhaps a symbol of the lives of those who congregate there. Nonetheless, business continues. Setting a story in a beauty shop is tried in true territory. We almost expect Queen Lativa to interstate right, but this shop is located in Beirut, Lebanon, which separates caramel from the pile. It gives us an intimate look at the lives and challenges that faces women in a relatively modern corner of the Middle East. And plentiful laughter along the way. The most popular Lebanese film ever. It has garnered ample international acclaim. Caramels written by a woman about women. We amble along with five likable characters facing very personal issues. Love, longing, adultery, change of life, family obligations. All challenged by societal restrictions that add spice to the mix. We would all be blessed to have such friends. They are respectful enough to observe mistakes with quiet acceptance. They are there to offer each other an embrace, a shoulder to cry on, and the necessary good humor for passing the days and padding the grief. You make caramel by heating sugar to 170 degrees until it turns into that delicious gooey substance we love on ice cream. In the film, it's used for hair removal. Like waxing. Who knew? Caramel. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. Again, today my guest is in Athens, Greece, 
We're on the telephone with writer-director Elena Siku, the writer-director of Son of Sophia, uh, which is going to make its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in the International Narrative Competition. And I guess we should mention that part of that International Narrative Competition, why it there, is that the characters, we've talked some about the distance, you know, how how one can feel lonely in a crowd. That's a, an old cliche in America, but uh, how how one can be right next to one another at a dinner or a tea party and yet be in a different world. And we'll allow Elena a chance to talk about that. But I want to say international narrative competition to explain that. We have characters who speak Greek and characters who speak Russian. And the mother we want to talk mm-hmm. a bit about who's caught in the middle in so many ways who speaks both languages, mm-hmm. but is she able to bridge mm-hmm. the two worlds, Elena? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's important to say that uh, this is what happens in the movie, but in the reality, uh, Valery Cetlanova, the actress uh, who plays Sofia, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't speak Greek, she's a Russian, and she lives in Germany, so she didn't know any Greek, uh. so do you speak? Okay, I speak Greek, I speak English, and I speak uh, some French. Oh, wow. Well, it certainly has, and this sounds trite to say, but it has this international ingredient that makes it, uh, uh, I I think, of great interest to something like Tribeca Festival, and obviously you've been uh, invited to do a world premiere there, but also I, I feel... Again, as the writer and and the director, you seem to have, you, you seem to have totally embraced. And I know that's what we expect from writers and directors, but it doesn't always happen. I mean, I'm a film, TV primarily, television actor as well, and not all directors <laughs> have a, a total view. Not all world leaders do, but we won't go there for now. But Elena, how do you, speaking of international flavor and world view? How do you use your film, which is really about 
we think uh, a coming of age. We we think it's about uh, dealing with a new parent, a new culture, new language. We think it's about um, age conflict, all of that. And yet, the Olympics and the Russian-Ukraine conflict is it not about those as well? And how do you how do you juxtapose? And what were your intentions in making that uh, that what we would call vegetable soup here? Excellent point and well made in the film. Tell me, you you do this yeah. not only for the again we talk. Uh, I know I've mentioned a, a lot, but it it bears mentioning again the use of light and darkness, the contrast, the of being making this mm-hmm. the the house a character as well. But also, you do this not only for the three main characters, but there are three other characters in particular. Uh, tell us something about, mm-hmm. um, for instance, the. The friend um, who likes to watch mm-hmm. movies with uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Misha, yeah. with and without his mother, and um, about the the boy who befriends Misha, and about the woman with all the questions at the tea party. The tea party scene is really quite yeah, something. Yeah. So much going on. But <laughs> tell us what are your thoughts. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very 
and Mr. Nichols. We have uh, three additional characters. Which are uh, Victor, who, are, who is uh, the friend of the boy, mm-hmm. and uh, also a friend, uh, a woman, an old woman, who is a friend of uh, Mr. Nichols, mm-hmm. and uh, also the, 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 the blonde uh, girl from uh, Georgia, who is the friend uh, uh, from the work of uh, Sophia. So yes. we have these three additional characters, and in contradiction to the three main characters, uh, are, uh, these three characters talk too much. <laughs> so we have the three main characters who are very silent mm-hmm. and uh, they don't uh, talk too much. So they live in a very dark house uh, uh, with a lot of pauses and uh, a few words. Mm-hmm. And we have three additional characters who are very social and uh, they talk too much and they ask a lot of things and uh, they are. <laughs> yes, yes. So Yes. It is also the blonde girl uh, at the work of Sophia who all the time asks about uh, her husband and her son, etc. And it's also the, the blonde guy from uh, the, the, the friend of Misa mm-hmm. that uh, he, he, he says a lot about himself and about his dreams and about the, the things that uh, he wants to do. And uh, sometimes uh, he doesn't say all the truth. Yes. About the relationship with his mother, etc. So it was important to to to, to show that uh, there is no only this uh, world of the main characters, but there is also the other world of the people who have you know an ext- an extreme need to talk about themselves. Yes, and, and you know you <laughs> and it's another way that you show the conflict that is. Uh, uh, it's in our face, and yet it's it's subtle. We have to uh, seek it out. We have to wonder as an audience. We have to figure it out for ourselves. This this is not a, a film, while it's very beautiful visually and moving in so many ways, it's not a film that um, that babies or cuddles us. It's a film that the audience has to be a part of, well, the final creation of it in, in how we observe and what we think but what I love about mm-hmm. these three, uh, the three main characters and the three, shall we say, less main characters, is that that's just another way that you create a conflict between fantasy and reality. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. And, mm-hmm. and there it is. And, you know, you watch it and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> she just caught us up in something again. So... <laughs> Uh, what about your production crew? I, I mean, the, the, uh, the director of photography must uh, is is quite a genius to bring to life what your vision was. And uh, um, just t- <laughs> yeah. tell us something about uh, the producers and the DP. Designer is Greek. Her name is Penelope Valti, and uh, 
So at, and and so uh, the DP at the very least has been with you for uh, you mentioned your first film was that the Eternal Return? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So how did you? Uh, it sounds like the production crew is becoming uh, more and more a team that you are hand in glove, comfortable working with. But what about the cast? Yeah. I think you mentioned the mother. Actually, she's a pretty well-known actress in Germany. But how did you find Misha? Yeah. You you found him. You you mentioned, but I don't know that I heard you completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I found him uh, in a multicultural school. In yes. Greece. We have some multicultural schools in Greece because of uh, the big number of immigrants. So I found him. It was like a street casting. Hmm. Uh, it was his first uh, experience uh, with camera. Wow. Uh, telling us it's his first experience on camera uh, he was amazing yeah. so the two of you must communicate on a on a very uh, uh, human level because there's a there's a heartfelt yeah. uh, uh, visuals of Misha because he again mm-hmm. as I said earlier it's his face his eyes speak m- more often than he does and tell mm-hmm. us the story exactly so what what is exactly, what are you exactly. saying to him uh, if it's not giving away too much? What what do you what what sort of direction do you say to a child who's of his age, first time on camera, and yet so expressive? Of course, you found him. I guess uh, that's the first step. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, the most important is that I didn't I gave I didn't give him uh, the script. Aha. Uh-huh. 
So I didn't want to, yeah, I didn't want to have the script and to read it and to, you know, to to know it by heart. Uh, I was afraid of uh, of it, so I didn't uh, give it to him. Uh-huh. I just uh, narrate the story and uh, I just uh, narrate all the scenes, scene by scene. Mm. Uh, so he have the script, so he didn't have to, to do any homework. Ah. <laughs> so we have a lot of meetings uh, before the shootings uh, in order, you know, to, to know each other better. Sure. And uh, we drank uh, a lot of orange juice and a lot of Coca-Cola and uh, <laughs> we ate a lot of ice cream. <laughs> in order to, you know, to, to feel comfortable. Yes. And uh, Victor is a, is a kid, uh, of, uh, is this kind of kid that uh, doesn't speak too much. Mm-hmm. So he was uh, quite, uh, you know, uh, uh, trying, quite, uh, you know, um, how to say it, quite uh, silent. Yes, guy. yes. So all the times I had to, you know, to tell jokes, etc. <laughs> And, and after all, in, adi- in addition to being a fine writer and director, you are a mother. So I guess you had a lot of uh, yeah. to call on uh, to, to accomplish your goals there. Tell us, as I've mentioned a few times, that um, The Son of Sophia is having its world premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in the International Narrative Competition in New York City. It will be screening in New York City on April 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and 28th. I wonder if you could tell us how we can find uh, more information about Son of Sophia, how we can buy tickets, uh, Facebook uh-huh. maybe. Tell us. Yeah, yeah. there is a Facebook page of the film, which is Son of Sophia. The title of the film is also a Facebook page of the film, Son of Sophia. And uh, you can uh, buy your tickets from the, from the site of the festival, of the Tribeca Film Festival. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Elena Siku, writer, director, mother, uh, writer, director, son of <laughs> Sophia, who who certainly uh, knows how to deal with all ages uh, and an international cast. Uh, it was just an amazing experience to watch uh, your beautiful visuals as well as your use of silence, use of the physical surrounding to tell your story of the son of Sophia. It has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and um, I hope one day we will get to work together. I certainly hope to meet you and do, and wish you all the very best um, for Son of Sophia at the Tribeca Film Festival. All right? Thank you. Thank you, Marcelo. It was a great pleasure to be with you. And my pleasure, too. You bye now and all the best. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now, another film rental discovery. 
Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. To call the films of the late Philip Seymour Hoffman an overture to human suffering would be an understatement. But Hoffman brought a unique vitality to his roles. He had an unflinching ability to peel back our everyday lives to expose just how strange our mundane world is. Synecdoche, New York, writer Charlie Kaufman's directorial debut, is no exception. Called the best movie of the decade by Roger Ebert, Synecdoche ushers us into the bizarre life of theater director Caden Cotard, played by Hoffman. A legion of doctors leads him down a bureaucratic labyrinth of diagnoses, and his box office attendant's house is perpetually on fire. After receiving a prestigious MacArthur Genius Grant, Caden begins to assemble a cast of amateur actors and build a copy of the real world inside of a warehouse. Everyone he knows and meets, including himself, becomes a character. It's the ultimate performance piece, and when the lines between acting and life begin to blur, we start to wonder if there was ever a difference in the first place. Brutal, but full of moments that reveal Kaufman's signature imaginative vision. This is a powerhouse indie that delivers on all that's promised. Synecdoche, New York. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Film lovers will enjoy visiting IndieFilmMinute.com, finding great film discovery in the archives, and challenging thought in our blog. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. I toll for thee who toil for life on earth in purple and acid rain. For man holds in his mortal hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. President Kennedy could have included all life on earth. Why? Why do corporate conservatives deny the threat of their nuclear products simmering deep in the earth? Because we increase dependency on Nestle's privatized water and faith in clean coal fracking and Exxon didn't know? Could the hyperlink connecting two dozen GOP senators cutting off hundreds of millions in contributions to the United Nations Green Climate Fund and billionaire hatred for collectivism be terror of our connecting the dots between West Coast drought, Texas floods, Midwest tornadoes, radically vacillating temperatures, post-Congress careers, and corporate bottom lines? Why do Republican senators vote against aid for Flint children drinking lead-laden water while bringing snowballs to Congress in support of climate change denial? Are they really so oblivious to the clones of Three Mile Island, Flint, and Baltimore? Is not the degree to which cokeheads change the earth determining how climate change accelerates income disparity, social instability, and catalysts for conflict? Did you know, while conservative fears focus on invasions of privacy, climate-influenced weather changes are changing depths for U.S. Navy in Virginia? And why the sting between the EPA prepping for major protections for bee pollinations and grumpy old men like Senator Jim Inhofe attempting to block any such bank-like bailout for bees, denying any science linking neoincultinoids to bee deaths? Whether a Ninth Supreme tips to the late Scalia or Living Thomas, or toward Justices Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we the people hold Earth's life in how we live our own. 
Though too big to jail puppeteers have tugged their congressional puppets too far red to avoid an apocalypse of their own making, it is not a time for suicide or withdrawal, but rather reactivated rejuvenation. Replace old white men who've raped earth with women, artists, and those on whose flogged backs America was built. We are at the very pinnacle of potential and evaporation of recapturing the essence of existence, or succumbing to the pride of human failures to see that we are but one piece of the great mosaic. Risking national destruction by the wrath of religious zealots, politically succumbing to the envy of mob rule, and wallowing in selfie gluttony, we give into the sloth of social media lusting after likes and followers. Even before director Jared P. Scott's the Age of Consequences makes its world premiere May 1, 2016 at Hot Docs Film Festival. Executive producer and director of outreach Sophie Robinson gave us hope, insisting while we can't yet imagine what can be done to save us from abrupt climate change, every potential calamity faced by humankind was faced not knowing how we would conquer it until we did. So why, even before the atomic bomb dropped August 6, 1945, has humanity repeatedly chosen to follow the loudest, rabble-rousing, inciting to violence, angry men like Hitler, Joe McCarthy, Boris Johnson, and Donald Trump? We now live in the age of consequences, the time of the bomb. But still, in denial, we dare global warming to accelerate climate change. Isn't it smarter to preserve a more harmonious relationship with Mother Nature? Truth is, though historically silenced, women have led humanity with reason and accountability, inspiring social awareness, social justice, and social change. Perhaps before the changes made to Earth by men change the order of all life upon it, we need to kick off the dusty ideas of angry old men and face our whacked world's woes revitalized with the spirit of our feminine side. Shall we not finally let go of our past mistakes and try emulating women like Mary Madeline, Native American Apache Priestess Lozen, St. Hildegard von Bingen, Christina de Pizan, who influenced women like Catherine de' Medici, Mary Queen of Scots, and Elizabeth I. Irish pirate chief Grace O'Malley, who negotiated a peace treaty one-on-one -on -one with Elizabeth I. Roxilana of the Ottoman Empire, Jane Austen, Harriet Tubman, Alice Paul, Anne Frank, Maya Angelou, Meryl Streep, Oprah, J.K. Rowling, Viola Davis, the United States Women's National Soccer Team, Nancy Reagan, Huma Abedin, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Congressional Candidate Jane Dittmar, Hillary Clinton, and 27-year-old Sophie Robinson. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the Donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world.